Well, amen. Boy, it's good to be in a place where they believe what they're singing. You know, that's not true everywhere. You are blessed here at First Baptist Church of Pelham. And uh, my joy in being here tonight is really twofold. Uh, when I was the pastor of Dolphin Way Baptist Church down in Mobile, uh, we had the privilege of hosting the State Baptist Convention one year. And that year happened to be when your beloved pastor was the president of the convention. And uh, he came down and we got acquainted and he preached a wonderful sermon. And since that time, I have known much more about you than you have known about me. Uh, but I have loved the story of what God has done here. And I'm so thankful for uh, Brother Mike and the ministry. And brother, to stand here where you've preached all these years what an awesome privilege uh, that is. And uh, he told me before the service, he said <laughs> that uh, you all prayed for my son Carson. Some of you may not even remember that. Maybe you don't necessarily associate me with that request, having never met me until tonight. But thank you for praying for my son. He is a thriving 10-year-old boy tonight. And you would never know that he ever had cancer. So thank you for that. And then on top of all of that, to know now that my good friend Davin is here, who I have known for nearly half of my life. That's remarkable for me to think about that. And uh, he is one of the finest preachers anywhere. And I have to tell you, you, I don't know that you realize how blessed you are to have a seamless transition like you've had. It takes two men of God, one to pass the torch and one to take the torch. And both of them must have the essential ingredient of caring more about making him known than themselves know. And you've got two men like that, one who has passed the torch and one who has taken up the mantle. What a blessed church you are. So I am thankful uh, to get to be here with you tonight. Now, having said all of that, I want you to take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 8. And I'm going to preach tonight my favorite verse of Scripture. I call it an anchor of hope from Romans chapter 8. The name Abe Anglin won't mean anything to any of you. But when I was in the fourth grade, I knew that I wanted Abe Anglin to be my sixth grade teacher a few years later. Abe was... A peculiar man. He seemed to be a giant to me. He was probably only about 6'2 or so. But as he walked the halls of our little elementary school there in Kentucky, he was peculiar because he was bald with a large horseshoe scar on the side of his head. He looked really strange, just to be honest. And I was fascinated by him. Uh, he, because he could not grow hair on the top of his head, let it grow long in the back. 
It'd probably work down here in Alabama, wouldn't it? (laughs) But I watched him walking the halls, and I used to pray at night that God would let him be my sixth grade teacher. And as the Lord would have it, that indeed is exactly what happened. I remember how overjoyed I was when I was selected to be in his class, and as a result of that, his family and my family quickly became friends. And I never knew the impact of the invitation he gave me when he said, Adam, I'm going to be sharing my testimony at a church event in a home, and I would love for you to come. I didn't even know what a testimony was at that point in my life, but my parents agreed for me to go. And I remember sitting in uh, the floor of a living room there in my little hometown, listening to him tell about how he had battled brain cancer and had multiple tumors removed. I was literally on the edge of my seat, and then he said something that I still remember vividly to this night. He said, my favorite verse of scripture is one that has kept me anchored no matter what I faced. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Well, I had, I had never heard that verse before, but I was spellbound as he said those words. I knew then that there was something special about it, and so I decided that very night that Romans chapter 8, verse 28, would be my favorite verse too. And all these years later, it is still my favorite verse. I can't even tell you how God has spoken to me through that verse. Midway through my sixth grade year, Abe Anglin's brain tumor came back and he fought the cancer and uh, he was so valiant. But I remember before what would be his final surgery. He came to school and brought me out in the hallway in the middle of the day, if you can imagine. And people were rushing up and down the halls, but we were so close at this point, he sat me down and we crossed our legs facing one another in the hallway. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, Adam, it looks like I'm going to die. And I want you to know that I am not afraid to die. Well, I understood that as best as a sixth grade mind could. But then I never will forget, I looked away and he grabbed my shoulder and he said, I want you to look me in the eye. That's not just church speak. I am not only not afraid to die, I am excited to die. And if you will give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you will sacrifice everything in this life in order to grow strong in his kingdom, one day, whenever your time comes, you won't be afraid to die either. Wow. I remember thinking, having already made a profession of faith at that point, I don't know what this guy's got, but I want what he's got because the people at my church, they don't have what he's got. 
And he said, Adam, don't ever forget that no matter what happens to you, God will work all things together for good if you love him and if you've been called according to his purpose. Well, you see, there was something about this verse that gave him incredible strength for his journey. And I knew from that time forward that this verse would give me strength for my journey as well. And I want to suggest that it will be an anchor of hope for you too. I didn't fully understand it then. And frankly, I don't fully understand it tonight. But I've discovered the wonderful truth that God really does work all things, not some things, not even just good things, but all things together for good. This verse has frequently lifted my head when times have been tough. This verse kept me sane through many challenges in the ministry. And it was this verse more than any other that kept me anchored for those three years when we battled my son's leukemia. It's a wonderful thought, isn't it? There is nowhere that you can go. There is nothing that can happen to you where God is not present and where God is not actively working for good in your life. Isn't that wonderful? But here's the problem. It doesn't always feel that way, does it? It's not always easy to see how God is working for good. Have you ever been angry with God because you asked him for something that he did not give you? Have you ever been bitter toward God because of something terrible that happened in your life? Have you ever been frustrated because Someone that you love is hurting and it feels like God has turned an apathetic ear to it. Have you ever wondered why God allows such terrible things to happen when he could obviously prevent them? Well, if you've answered yes to any of these questions, this glorious truth that God is always working for your good will change your life. In every circumstance, in every heartache, in every struggle, God is working for your good. You say, I I can't see how God is working for good. Friend, it doesn't matter if you see how he's working for good. What matters is that he knows he's working for good. And so with that in mind, I want to give you three instructions as we just unpack this tiny little verse of Scripture here in Romans chapter 8. Notice, first of all, the Apostle Paul teaches that this is an anchor of hope because it reminds us that God will guide us no matter what happens. God is always out before you, guiding you every step of your life. Uh, How do you know that? Well, notice how that verse begins. He says, and we know. It conveys a sense of confidence and assurance. You may not realize it. You may not understand it. But you can live with full confidence that God is always guiding your life. Now, frankly, that's important because there are a lot of things in life that we just cannot know. 
How many natural disasters are going to fill the calendar year of 2017? Hasn't it been unbelievable how many and how closely together they have been? Who knows if Alabama's going to win another championship like they need one? Uh, (laughs) Who knows how the stock market is going to fare over the next month? Who knows what the major headlines are going to be this coming year? Who knows if our political climate is ever going to calm back down? Have you ever in your life seen a season in American history like we're in right now? It is unbelievable. And we just don't know what the future holds. Oh, we make educated guesses, but that's exactly what they are. They are guesses. And I believe we ought to be optimistic about the future. But the reality is we simply cannot be sure what the future is going to bring. We don't, have, we don't even know if we're going to live or if we're going to die. But what Paul says here is that the one thing you can know is whether you live or whether you die, whether it is good or whether it is bad, you can know that God is guiding every step of your life. In a changing world, we live with the unchanging promise that God is working all things together for good. Our world is constantly changing. Some of you here tonight who have been around a little bit longer, could you have imagined when you were young what the world was going to be like in 2017? Would you have predicted that we would be living in the world that we are? Consider the fact, for example, that 100 years ago, the average life expectancy in this country was just 47 years. A three-minute call from Denver to New York would cost you $11. There were just 8,000 cars on 144 miles of paved road in this country 100 years ago. The average wage was 22 cents, and the average annual income was a whopping $300 a year. Our world has changed a lot. And it continues to rapidly change. But the good news, as Adoniram Judson once said, the future is as bright as the promises of God. And we don't know what's coming. I'm not a fortune teller. I'm not here to tell you the future. But what I'm here to tell you is because of Romans chapter 8, verse 28, no matter what comes, you can know that God is involved and that he is proactively working for your good. And we know that's the certainty of it. But I want you to also see not only the certainty of this promise, but the comprehensiveness of this promise. Did you notice that next phrase? He says, and we know that God causes all things. Not some things, but all things. That means enjoyable things, life-changing things, memorable things. God uses all of that for good. But it also includes bad things, tragic things, depressing things, shocking things, dare I say, evil things. God is not the source of evil, but rest assured tonight, God is in control of all evil. 
And God can use evil for good. It is a comprehensive word of encouragement. It gives hope to the hopeless, help to the helpless, life to the lifeless. Because of the comprehensiveness of this promise, the weak find strength, the downtrodden are lifted up, and the weary find rest. In fact, I'm convinced that the single reason God sent some of you here tonight is for the sole fact of understanding that what you're facing tonight, God is going to work it for good. And you've stopped believing that a long time ago. I'm telling you, God is on his throne. He is alive. He is for you. And he is working for your good. Is that not what Paul meant in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9? When he said, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down but not destroyed. You say, well, how is that possible? I'll tell you how it's possible. Because of the comprehensiveness of this promise, God uses all things for our good. I love the way John MacArthur describes this verse. He says, it is breathtaking in its magnitude, encompassing everything that pertains to a believer's life. Think about it, friend. There is nothing that comes across the pages of your life that God doesn't work for good. What you see as accidental, God says is providential. This verse is clear. God is actively working for good, and he is causing it all to work together. Again, that's so important because we can't always see how he is doing that. You ever felt abandoned by God? Have you ever felt like when you pray that the door of heaven is closed and and no one is listening? Have you ever longed for a fresh word from God? Does it seem like heaven is silent and that no one cares for you? Well, friend, in those moments, You can't always sense how God is working, but this verse is a reminder, he is working. You know, the most graphic moment in my life that taught me this principle. Now think of this, God gave me this verse when I was just a boy, and I don't think about it every day, but I'll never forget July 10th, 2011, when my son was diagnosed with leukemia. It was a Sunday morning. I preached in our service. And by two o'clock that afternoon, the doctor said the one word no parent wants to hear. And I remember how my spirit wept and my heart broke when she said leukemia. Make a long story short, by 10 p.m. that night, eight hours later, he was in a bed in Memphis, Tennessee at St. Jude Hospital. And I stood outside of his little hospital room listening to explanation after explanation, signing waiver after waiver. And all the while, in the background, my son was screaming for dear life. You see, there were four nurses trying to put 
an IV in his little arm. But his veins were so tiny, they could not find it. And he was scared, and he was upset, and he was screaming. And finally, I had all of it that I could take. It was a terrible day, the worst day of our lives. And so I remember holding my hand up and saying to the doctor, we have to do this later. I've got to go to my son. And I walked in that little hospital room. And the nurses were there, and I just pushed them away. And I never will forget lying down in that bed on top of him. And I pressed my nose into his nose. And we were eye to eye. And he said, Daddy, please make them stop. Daddy, I want to go home. Don't let them do this to me, Daddy. And you got to understand, for a three-year-old boy, his daddy is everything. He's the one that feeds him, protects him. His daddy is always the strongest man in the room. And if anyone could take care of him at that moment, he knew it was me. But here was the problem. I knew that what he needed at that moment was the opposite of what he wanted. And it broke my heart. And I remember big crocodile tears in his eyes and in my eyes as I grabbed his arms and I pinned him to the bed with my forehead pressed into his and I just prayed, God, please forgive me and help him to understand. As I held his arms and listen to him scream in anguish as they put those needles in his arms. And I'm not a mystic, but in that moment, God brought this verse of Scripture to my mind, and I felt God impress upon my heart. I will help him to understand, and oh, by the way, what you're doing for him, I'm about to do for you. And I don't want you to misunderstand. Maybe sometime I'll come back and I'll tell you the whole story of his treatment. I would not choose the path that he has had to walk, but can I tell you tonight unashamedly, I have learned to thank God for it. Our family is different than it used to be. God has changed me. I'm ashamed to tell you that some of the priorities I used to have did not honor God. I'm happy to tell you that some of the things that drove me, the selfish things, they don't drive me anymore. And I'm happy to tell you that all of us have grown and I've even seen how God has worked in my son's life. How is that possible? Because even when I could not see it, God, was working for good. In the worst day of my life, God said, I'll work that for good. But you know, that was six years ago when he was diagnosed. It's taken that long to get here. So friend, the issue is not whether you can see God. The issue is that God sees 
you. That's the comprehensiveness of this. All things. Do you believe it? Will you dare believe the comprehensiveness of this promise? You don't ever have to doubt in the dark what God has told you in the light. So when trouble blows into your life, you can have the confidence of Phil Mickelson approaching a two-inch putt or of Phil Jackson coaching in the NBA Finals or of Nick Saban in a national championship game or of Bill Gates installing new software. When you hear the words, God causes all things to work together for good, take it to the bank. Remember, God is always guiding you. But there's a second instruction here. Not only do we remember God is always guiding us, I love what Paul does in the next phrase. He essentially says, relax, God is always guarding us. He's always protecting us. Did you notice the next detail in this verse? God causes all things to work together for good. That little phrase, work together, is just one word in the original language, and it gives us our English synergy. Synergy is what happens when individual parts of something come together and have a total effect that is greater than the individual effect of those items alone. In other words, what Paul's saying is God takes all the circumstances in your life when left to themselves, they can't do much. But he puts it together, the good and the bad, and he works it for a greater good. He is carefully putting the pieces of your life together to make it more remarkable and more fulfilling. But why does he do this? He says he causes all things to work together. And look at that next phrase, for good. God is actively working to produce good, which leads me to another observation. This is a comforting promise. I love how John Phillips described it. He said, like the cogs in an intricate piece of machinery, all things work together for good to the call of God for the simple reason that God's purposes cannot be thwarted. In other words, God is going to do what he wants to do. And we are fortunate that what God wants to do is good. You see, God's promises are linked to his character. If God fails to keep one of his promises, guess what? He is a liar and he's no longer God. For one of God's promises to be broken... God would have to be broken. He is infinitely holy and wise and good. And so when he promises good, we can trust that he will work for good. Now be careful here because I don't want anybody to leave here and say, well, that preacher diminished what I'm battling or what I'm facing tonight. Oh, I would never do that. This does not mean that everything that happens to you is good. Terrorists killing innocent people, Friend, that is pure evil. When a tornado rips through your neighborhood, that's terrible. We we shouldn't pretend otherwise. When babies are aborted from their mother's wombs, that is horrifying. 
When a marriage is torn apart by divorce, it is a painful reality that we should never rejoice in. Broken promises, angry words, shed tears, lives destroyed. These are not good things. They never were and they never will be. That is not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that God in his sovereignty can take even these things and work them for good. He can bring good out of these things. I have a friend in Georgia who uses the analogy of a cake to explain the principle. He says, imagine that you were hungry and so you didn't want to wait for a cake to bake. And so you decided that you would just eat the individual elements of the cake. So you got some baking powder and some raw eggs and and some flour and you put them in separate bowls and then you just started eating them. How would you enjoy that? Well, you wouldn't enjoy it at all. Those things would taste terrible by themselves. But when the right person mixes those ingredients together and puts them in the oven, what comes out is a tasty cake. Friend, it's not how things go into the bowl that matters. It's how they taste when they come out of the oven. And likewise, we are not going to enjoy all of the ingredients that God puts into the recipe of our lives. But when it goes into the oven of his grace and he is finished baking it, it comes out of his oven and Romans chapter 8 verse 28 cake is very, very good. You say, well now wait a minute, you don't know me and you don't know my story. You don't know how I've been mistreated. Well, do you know how Joseph was mistreated? You remember what Joseph said, don't you? What they meant for evil, what did God mean it for? Good. You say, well, wait a minute, you you don't know how I've suffered. Well, what did Paul say earlier in this chapter? For I consider that the sufferings of this time aren't worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. In other words, a better day's coming. God's working it for good. You say, you don't know how lonely I am tonight. Friend, nothing can separate us from the love of God. You say, I'm close to death. There's nothing good left for me. To live is Christ and to die is gain. God works it all for good. He's working it for good tonight. The context of this verse were believers that were living in great difficulty. You know, there's some who act like that if you're a Christian today, nothing bad ever happens to you. I'm here to tell you that is a lie. That's a lie straight from hell. You know, one of the pet peeves that I had when Carson was sick, people used to say to us, well, you know what the Bible teaches, Pastor, um, Never put more on you than you can bear. That's baloney. He will put much more on you than you can bear. Do you know why? Because he has every intention of bearing it for you. You can't really believe that he works all things together for good if all things don't happen to you. How can God bring bad Or how can God bring good out of bad? Well, unfortunately, the only way to find out is to live through some hard things. 
but in a world of suffering and heartache that longs for redemption. In that kind of world, Paul says, all things are working together for good. You say, well, what then is the ultimate good? Great question. And here's the answer. Anything that makes you closer to God is good. I'll say more about that in just a moment. But before I do, I want you to notice the next phrase here. Not only is this a comforting promise, it is a conditional promise. He says, and we know that all things work together for good for who? To those who love God. To those who are called. He says, we know. Who's the we? Those who love God and those who are called of God. There are only two kinds of people in the world. There are the saints and the ain'ts. There's those that love God and those that don't love God. And friend, I know it's not politically correct to say this, but this promise isn't for everyone. This promise is for those who love God. You say, well, how do I know if I love God? You've been called according to his purpose. Well, how do I know if God called me? Well, let me make it very simple for you. If there was ever a time in your life when you heard the gospel, maybe it was a preacher that opened this book and preached the gospel and it pricked your heart. Or maybe it was a friend who shared the gospel with you over lunch. Or maybe somebody gave you one of those little gospel tracts that we used to pass out and you read it for yourself. Or maybe you opened a Gideon Bible in a hotel room somewhere. If there's ever been a time when you heard the gospel and you sensed that God was talking to you and by faith you turned to him in repentance and you gave him your life completely and it your life has become a, a love response to him from that point forward, you are called of God. Do you spend time with him in prayer? Do you love him? <laughs> Do, are, are you eager to read his word? Are you anxious to serve him? Friend, if so, you didn't get that way by accident. God, you say, no, I'm a pretty good fellow. No, you're not. I, I don't mean to be rude, but you're not. And neither am I. I'm not a good person at all. I just have a really good person living inside of me. <laughs> and if there's anything good about you, he put it there. And so if you've heard the gospel and been pricked of heart and you've responded and your life has changed, you are the called of God. And God promises that he has reserved for believers in the Lord Jesus this hope that everything is working together for good. Now watch this, because this is important. I understand that most of you tonight are in that category, but there are some of you who may not be. For the Christian, everything works together for good. But the opposite is also true. For the non-Christian, everything is working together for bad. Boy, that's startling, isn't it? You say, wait, 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 hey, wait a minute. I, I'm not a Christian, but uh, I don't hate God. I'm not for him, but I'm not really against him. I mean, I'm here tonight, aren't I? And, and occasionally I'm here on Sundays, and when the, pay, when the plate passes, I, I'll put a little money in, and I'm, 
I'm polite and I'm politically correct and, and I'm friendly. I'm just not fully surrendered to God. Oh, friend, I don't want to be rude and I don't want to frighten you. But Romans chapter 8 verse 28 is not for you. This is not a promise for those who don't love God. You say, well, now, wait a minute, my life's not all that bad. I, I've got a nice home. I've got a nice family. I've got a nice job. You say all things work together for my bad. My life's pretty good. You're wrong about that. Oh, think again. Remember, for the believer, bad situations work together for good. But for the unbeliever, good situations can work together for bad. You say, what are you talking about? Well, imagine it this way. Everything's fine in your life. Your career's taken off. Your marriage is good. Your kids are healthy. And what you think is a blessing actually makes you arrogant and it drives you further and further away from God. I can't tell you how many times I've heard this in church. Actually, not in church, but outside of church. It's amazing as a pastor just because you're a pastor, people just confess stuff to you. Have you ever noticed that? Why do y'all do that? Huh. I was in Walmart the other day, which I don't recommend, but I was there. Guy walked up to me, and I think I've met him one time since I've been the pastor in Texas. And he walked up to me and he said, Pastor, I got to tell you, I haven't been in church lately. And I'm thinking, well, no, Doug, because I don't even know what your name is. But let me tell you, God is really blessing my business. I just don't, God has blessed me so much, I don't have time to come to church right now. Do you hear how dumb that is? <laughs> what we think is a blessing from God that's working for good is actually something that's working for bad. People blame God for their negligence in their walk with Him. It's utterly remarkable. You can go on being friendly toward God. And then ultimately you move to, I don't care about God. And then ultimately you, you move to, I hate God, all because things are so good in your life. There are no guarantees for those who don't know Christ. It is a conditional promise. So here's what he says. He says God is guiding you. He's going before you in every situation. God is guarding you. If you know Jesus, he's protecting you so that all things are working for your good but then he says one final word. He tells us to rejoice because God is growing you through everything that you face. You say, I've got it. God works all things together for good to those who love him, to those who are called. But why does he call us? Well, notice that last phrase there in verse 28. Those who are called according to his purpose. Oh, God has a purpose for me. You bet he does. Well, what is that purpose? Well, look at the next verse, verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many 
brethren. Now, there's a lot in that verse, and I don't have time to preach that verse as well. But let me just give you the heartbeat of verse 29. God is working all things together in your life for good for one solitary reason. So that you, look at it, verse 29, will be conformed to the image of his son. God's goal is not to make you happy. God's goal is to make you holy. And God will use anything at his disposal to make you more like Jesus Christ. You do know that's where this story of ours is going, don't you? I love 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, where the Bible says we will be like him, for we shall behold him as he is. Hey, there's coming a day you're going to be just like Jesus. There's coming a day I'll be just like the Lord Jesus. And everything between now and then is meant to conform you into the image of Jesus. God wants to peel away the selfishness out of your life. God wants to teach you to control your tongue. God wants to teach you to live a life of good works, not because you're earning a place in heaven, but so that others will see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And God keeps working and pruning and peeling and and putting soil around your life so that you grow fully, maturely into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. This promise does not mean that God will always change your circumstances. He doesn't always change our circumstances. If I had time tonight, even as we've rejoiced over the fact that my son is well this evening, I could tell you about friends that we played with in the waiting room who lost their battle. I could tell you about parents more godly than we are who buried their babies. If you hear anything I say, you got to hear this. This promise is no less true for them than it is for us. And if your life is a mess, it's no less true for you than it is the person that seems to have it all together. God loves you too much to leave you the way you are. And he will do whatever is necessary to make you like Jesus. It is a promise that leads to rejoicing. Can anybody say in agreement with me tonight, I'm not all I ought to be, but praise God, I'm not all I used to be either. Amen? I want to end tonight with the most remarkable story that I've ever heard. It's a true story recorded by Ravi Zacharias in one of his books. Ravi visited Vietnam back in 1971, and he was doing missionary work with an interpreter named Hien Pham. 
Fahm worked for the American military and was a devoted Christian. When Ravi Zacharias left Vietnam, within four years the nation fell and he lost track of his friend Hien. Seventeen years later, in 1988, he and Fom called Robbie Zacharias in the United States and asked if he could meet him. When they met one another, he told Robbie the following story. He said, shortly after you left Vietnam, I was arrested by communists for my Christian faith. I was accused of giving aid to the American cause. And as a result, I was in prison for several years with the sole purpose of destroying my faith. I was restricted to reading communist propaganda, men like Marx and Engels and Lenin. And after a while, he and said, it began to take its toll. I'm ashamed to tell you, Ravi, that I buckled under the pressure. I began to doubt God's existence about I began to doubt even the truth of Christianity, and I wondered how could God let me go through so many terrible things? He said, then on one infamous night, I determined I would never pray and I would never think about God again. The next morning, he and Fom got up and he was assigned by the guards to clean the prison latrines. Now, you got to understand, that is the most dreaded uh, chore in a prison camp. And so with bitterness and anger, he and Fawn began cleaning the toilets and removing the trash. And the last tin that he came to was filled with toilet paper. And as he emptied it, he noticed on a tiny piece of paper, there were some words written in English. So he took that little piece of paper quickly, washed it off, and put it in his pocket so that no one would see. That night, under a mosquito net, when he was sure it was safe, he and Fom took out a small flashlight, shined it on the paper, and in the top corner, he saw the words, Romans chapter 8. And then he read, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. When he read those words, he and Fom broke down and began weeping and thanking God for the encouragement. He knew God had spoken directly to him and so he repented for, of his unbelief and he promised God he would never doubt his existence again. The next day, he actually asked if he could clean the latrine. And the Viet Cong guards were shocked, but they agreed. And every day from that day forward, he and Fom cleaned the latrines because he discovered that one of the officials was using a Bible as toilet paper. And so he would take it out of the trash, he would clean it and read it each night for his devotion. The day finally came when he had Fom was released from prison and he made plans to escape the country and he began building a boat in secret with 53 others who planned to flee with him. Just before their departure, four Viet Cong guards knocked at their door. They had heard about the escape. They came to question them. 
He and Fom denied it vehemently. But after much questioning, the guards finally gave up and, and left. When they left, he was disappointed in himself. Because again, it seemed he had let the Lord down. He thought, here I go again, Lord, trying to manipulate my own destiny rather than relying on you to work all things together for my good as you promised that you would. God, I promise you, if those guards come back, I'll tell them the truth. Now, have you ever made a promise that you didn't think you'd have to make good on? Four hours later, Those same guards knocked on his door. They said, we have sources and we know you're trying to escape. Is it true? And he at Pham said a prayer under his breath, took a deep breath and then said, yes, it is true. I, along with 53 others, are leaving tonight. With that, the guards looked puzzled. They stared for what seemed like eternity in silence. And finally, he and broke the silence and said, are you going to imprison me again? And they leaned forward and they whispered, no, we want to go with you. <laughs> and by means of incredible escape, 57 individuals on the seas of Vietnam left that night. But soon, they were engulfed by a violent storm. And immediately, just like the disciples in Jesus' boat, he and Pham lost his faith again. And he fell on his face and he cried out to God. He said, oh God, did you bring us out here to die? And then he said, you won't believe what happened next. Those four guards looked at us and said, did you not know that all of us are experienced sailors? And had they not been on our boat we would have all perished in the sea. Friend, I don't know what you know, but you know what I know? Romans chapter 8, verse 28 is true. It's true whether you believe it or not. It's true whether you live by it or not. It's true whether you belong to Jesus or not. So I want to encourage you and challenge you to hold on because there's a God in heaven that loves you and he's working everything for your good if you know him. I'd like to ask heads to be bowed and eyes to be closed. We come to a moment of response. And my, my invitation tonight is very simple. It's really twofold. First of all, if you're here tonight and you are not a Christian, I don't mean that people think you're a Christian. I mean in your heart of hearts, you know you've never been born again. You've never been changed by Jesus Christ. If I'm talking to you tonight, maybe somebody invited you. This is the first time you've ever been inside this church. Or maybe you come every week but you've been living a lie. If you don't know Jesus, I believe God sent me here to say, he loves you, he'll work in your life, but you must belong to him first. And if by faith, through repentance, you will call on the name of the Lord Jesus, 
you will be saved. Do it tonight. Stop playing a game. Call out to him. And let the journey of Romans chapter 8, verse 28, unfold in your life. Others of you here are believers. But if you were honest, you would say, you've lost your way. You're discouraged. You're even angry at God. Maybe tonight you want to just come and kneel here at the front and cry out to God. I know you've been praying before these meetings. Friend, the praying doesn't need to stop now that the meetings have started. Why don't you come and just say, God, forgive my lack of faith. Maybe you've got a circumstance tonight that's bringing you down. You just need to give it to God. There's no guarantee it's going to change your circumstance. But friend, God can change you if you give it to him. Still others of you need to join this church. Could it be that God has worked in your life through hard circumstances to show you your need for him or your need for a local church family just like this? What a privilege to be in this community where this church ministers. I know they would love to have you be part of this fellowship. So it's very simple. If you need to be saved, come. If you need to come and pray, do that. Maybe you want to make an altar right there in your pew. If you need to join the church, you come also. Father, all things, all things work together for good. And we praise you for it. And tonight we pray for faith to believe it, to know it the way Paul knew it. Thank you for this promise. Drive it deep into our hearts. Let every man, woman, boy, and girl now respond in faith wherever they are, whatever it means. May we leave here changed because of Romans 8:28. In Jesus' name, amen.